Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to Rule the Roost podcast. It's two losses on the bounce. I mean, one FA Cup, one Premier League now, but that's two losses on the bounce for Tottenham Hotspur. And I'm joined by John Bass. How are you doing, John? Welcome back to the show, mate. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, mate. I feel like the um, harbinger of doom. Just like I'm always here when when things have got so bad. You're <laughs> like, right, I need someone who's even more miserable about things than me. <laughs> Bring him on. We can we can writhe in our misery together. It's just it's like you know I'm like a I'm like a, a starved a starved dog looking in a butcher shop window. Do you know what I mean, Mike? There you are, like a big a big juicy chop, and I'm just yeah. like, go on. Want to have some Conte out discussion? I know. I know who to call. I know. Let's get, let's get the big chop, the big pork chop in. Let's get him in. Let's put him in the pan. Let's fry this bad boy up. Let's exactly. Go. Let's get this cooking. You know? It's what the kids say nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. Let, let us cook. Um, <laughs> oh, God. So it's a, miserable, though. It's oh, miserable. Well, this is it, mate. So on the running order, I've, I've put Wolves WTF question mark. But... <laughs> I, I don't know if you know what I mean. I'm not even that annoyed about like this Wolves performance or result in isolation. To me, it's kind of like now it's like it's a growing kind of pustule of issues on the back of Tottenham Hotspur. Do you know what I mean? It's like it kind of yeah. it just it, it felt to me there was an air. I'm just saying, I, I felt there was an air of end times about that performance. We've we've been here before. We've seen that happen, and it didn't. It this can happen. Wolves are good, in my opinion. Wolves are a good team. They're a decent team. We have no right to go and just get three points at the Molyneux. Yeah. We don't. But when we went one nil down, there wasn't really a rabid fight there. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think like taking a step back, going into this game, I think you're right. Like this, the worst thing about this whole thing was just how inevitable it was. Like it's just classic us that you have a result like Sheffield United. And I think we were, I mean, I listened to your reaction pod and I could feel the pain is exactly how I felt um, after that game. And I think you rationalise it by going, okay, fine. We've we've rested players in order to prioritise top four. And the Premier League. And so then part of you just goes, hang on a minute, this is Spurs. So we're obviously now going to lose this game as well. And that's exactly what happened. And I think the most frustrating thing about this, like I said, is that I could just see this coming. I could see this coming. You can't um, have a team that haven't won a trophy in this amount of time and sort of pick and choose when you're going to be successful. And that's what I think is, is sort of the arrogance of what we did in the selection going into Sheffield United bleeds into the rest of your season because you're basically saying like, oh, we should be able to get this done with this 11 against Sheffield United. Well, we haven't got it done with our best 11. So you are basically like saying, well, we're not going to do this. And so then you're out of a competition, which whether we like it or not, the, the players, they do they do care, right? It's not like they're in a change room just going, oh, well, like, let's just get on the bus and get out of here. That will have that will have hurt, and particularly some of the players, you know, Kane I'm thinking of, would have been looking at that thinking, well, this was it. This was an opportunity for us to win a trophy that was achievable. And so to throw that away, it does kind of just throw everything away. It just kind of makes you think, well, what's the, what are we doing here? What's the point? We're, we're not, we're not going to win a trophy now. So the best we can hope for is to finish in the top four and we're, you know, we're not, we've not been in awful form Premier League wise. Like we've, we've actually been doing okay of late. But you've, we've just like tripped over a rock in the middle of, of a good run when we should have just been building momentum. And so that, that, that was the thing that was the most disappointing for me is I felt like just the kind of preamble to this game was, was a massive stumbling block at Sheffield United. And I did think that obviously it was different different 11 on the pitch but it's the same kind of issues and the same kind of problems we've been seeing time and time again with us this season that has caused us to not be able to 
to break down a team effectively and, and ultimately score enough goals. We just create nothing, mate. We create nothing meaningful at all. And I, I said after the game, and I kind of had a bit of a mixed response to this, like mostly in DMs and stuff, that we're only in the position we're in, really. We're only fourth place in the league because we've got Harry Kane. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly believe that, mate, because I couldn't, I couldn't tell you like who else is really scoring any goals for us and where they're coming from. It just seems to be consistently him just managing to get on the end of whatever kind of little piecemeal opportunities he can get. What has he got now? Has he got 18, 19 Premier League goals this year? Yeah, so funnily enough, we were talking about this in one of my um, WhatsApp groups. Kane's got 18 goals this season. Our second top goal scorers have five. (laughs) Like, they're not even near. They're not even close. And I think that's Bentoncourt as well, who's not known for goal scoring. Fucking hell. So, mate, this is just highlights where we're at, right? Like, I think previously, you know, and I don't want to be that under Poch, but (laughs) under Poch, goals are coming from everywhere, right? Mm. You had like Delhi scoring goals, Sun scoring goals, Ericsson chipping in. Like, we we had goals sort of across the team. And so, so Kane's goals elevated us. Now, we are reliant on those goals. And that is a big worry considering, again, if you look at the bigger picture of just where we're headed... Like his contract is running down and we're not exactly wowing him to the point where he's going to go, do you know what, we are actually edging closer to doing something special. We're as far away now as I can really remember in terms of being able to do something special. I was I was suckered in um, thinking, actually, do you know what, we're right to sacrifice the sort of domestic cups because the only prizes that really matter are the Premier League and the Champions League. And I'm the same as you, particularly European nights. Something about Spurs in Europe is just there is something there with us that we have that we don't have uh, in the league. Yeah. So I'm all, I could understand the prioritisation for that. And I kind of thought to myself, look, let's just say we win an FA Cup. No one cares. It doesn't move the needle. Then the press just shift their focus from, well, well they won a trophy, but it's only the FA Cup. It's only the League Cup. Arsenal won so, the FA Cup twice when they were in their lean period, you know, all that type right. of shit. And nobody cares, right? So... I, I was on board with that, but now I'm looking at it thinking, well, we're miles away from that. Like we are so far away from that, and we should be readjusting our our gaze to maybe look at those domestic cups, and we've just thrown them away. And so I, I can't help but thinking, all of that mentality stuff must bleed into the way that the players think, because it was just such a predictable outcome in this game, and that's what's the most frustrating thing about it for me. Do you? Because we're talking about kind of the lack of creativity, the the lack of goals in the team. Obviously, you know, the, the transfer window's been and gone now. Um, we still don't have the the Ericsson-type player. We didn't, you know, we didn't sign a James Madison, despite the kind of links we've had constantly. One might say, you know, we have a player in that type of profile in Alfie Devine that's mm. desperate to play more football, by all accounts, that has been denied loans out of the club because the club see him as important. They want to keep him here, but he seems to be getting no opportunities. Um, do you feel that with a change in formation, if we went to the four-three-three, as I think Conte has played maybe once in his time here, I, I want to say was it against Brighton? I think we played four-three-three. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Could could you see that as being like an avenue to us to us creating more? Because it it does feel like the two in just having that two in midfield. It doesn't really bring out the best in them. Skip and Hoybier can do a job there because they are both tenacious, kind of ball-chasing, determined, fit players that can do that. But then their whole capacity seems to be occupied with doing that. We don't see Hoybier really pulling out many of the passes that we know he's capable of. Oliver Skip as well. You know, as you as you lot were talking about on the Fighting Cock the other week, mm. he was seen as like a, a young English Frankie de Jong. Do you know what I mean? That that can kind of pull the strings and kind of support in a defensive sense as well. But literally all it seems to be that we have from Hoybier and Skip for the most part right now are two players that just run around and try to break up whatever play that they can. Yeah. They just seem to be constantly overwhelmed. And we have two kind of wing backs that aren't particularly effective. We we just seem to be sacrificing so much of our ability to do anything by this insistence from the manager on this system that we just clearly do not have the players for. You know, even Perisic, mate, like, I, I mean, let's let's talk about him on, on, on this point. Mm. No, no, actually, no, no. Let's, let's, let's stick to this first. The 4-3-3, would, would you like to see that given a go? Do you think we're more likely to 
see any any kind of like creativity flourish from this or is it just the case that we need different personnel we need different players in there yeah I, th- I think there's a couple of things right like I think you can you could keep this formation but change the application and change like a, a couple of the personnel and you would get different results out of that because I look at it and I think you've got basically not great defenders <laughs> let's be honest we have Romero who's decent Dyer who is inconsistent but can be decent but also can fall off a cliff uh Davies, Sanchez, Tanganga. They're not lighting up the world, but this system is reliant on a really good ball-playing defence. So immediately, you're in pretty hot water because your defence isn't really capable of doing the start of what you want to go forward. Then you have like rigid um, wing-backs who need to... They are basically your most important player in the system, and they're probably our weakest, aside from our like central defenders. We don't... We don't I know we've bought Poro, but he, you know, we, we yet to see how well he's going to play. And we have basically no one, and to go on to your Perisic point maybe later, we have no one on the other side that's up to par. Like, if you're talking about like elite wing-backs in the world, which is what you'd need to play a system that is reliant on wing-backs, we, we just don't have them. Then you've got, you've got to have basically midfielders who have an absolute engine and can play forward and can defend. Again, very specific type of players. Do I think we have good midfielders who would flourish in other systems? Yeah, I do. I think they're, they're all good, competent players. But again, you're talking about very specific players like Brozovic at Inter, who can do a bit of everything. Like That's quite rare to have that. And then you, you've got to be basically be able to have like your wider players further up the pitch in, again, suited to playing with their back to goal and then spinning in behind, which Sun has never been good at that. And is really struggling this season as a result. He's basically played Conte's played him into being an awful player from being a golden boot winner. It's unbelievable. But I mean, even on that, like, look at somebody like you, you know, you're talking about the sort of the rare players that can do a bit of everything. I felt like we signed that in Basuma this mm. this summer. And he's just he's, he's I mean, I know he's injured at the moment, but re- let's be honest, in the grand scheme of things, he's been absolutely nowhere to be seen in, yeah. in this season at all. And you can't help but think that is just a product of him being just coached within an inch of his life by Antonio. Cut- I mean, this is this is one of the players that re- like people would regularly say. People, yeah. Fans of other clubs, it, pretty much every single fan base in the country fancied Basuma. Of, of those teams in the bracket above Brighton, were like we could have a place to him. He has looked like one of the best midfielders in the Premier League for the past at least couple of seasons, and he's 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 come to Tottenham, and it's. It hasn't even just been like... It's one of those things where it feels like you can't even criticise his performances because we've barely seen him, you know? And a few times we have seen him when he gets chucked in, it, you just wonder how much the pressure of him being kind of, right, okay, I'm coming on on 60 minutes, I haven't played for two weeks, fuck, I need to make a good impression here. And yeah, I get it. One would argue that's the kind of whiplash technique where, you know, it's kind of treating mean and you can test somebody in the kind of the baptism of fire sense, do you know what I mean? And then the, 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 the elite will kind of rise to the top in those circumstances. But I mean, what do we have to rely on this idea that every single player that's going to play for him immediately anyway, is going to be some elite superstar because it, and that to me just kind of, it, it, it just again highlights what a kind of bad fit somebody like Conte is for a club that isn't Juventus, Chelsea, and then the others, you know, like a PSG or a Real Madrid or something like that. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 100%. I think, to be honest, the, the Conte issues, and I said this you know, right at the beginning of the season when I really felt like the things were heading in a bad direction. It's not that um, Conte hasn't been an amazing manager, but everyone was an amazing manager until they weren't, right? Jose Mourinho was considered by everyone in the world to, to basically be the best manager and then at United people started seeing it unraveling he started making comments about our oh, players are different these days they don't you know they're not men they don't stand up and fight and you know it's, it's different and the, the mentality and the game moved on from what he was able to do with what he was given at any given club right even with the money and the backing that he had at United and the, the players that they had there he needed a certain personality type or a certain type of player in order to make his way of thinking work. But the game had moved on. And so teams were playing in a way that basically countered his approach. Because to be fair to him, he like changed football where people did start playing 
everyone started playing 4-3-3 because of Mourinho's Chelsea and it really like transformed it and then Guardiola's kind of 4-3-3 playing a, the invert inverse of what Mourinho was doing kind of changed it again and, and football's kind of continued to progress I just think Conte's style of football's just gone I think it's just it just hit its kind of peak at, at Inter and in that league now you can see the team that are top of the league play nothing like that style of football and they're blowing everyone away because I think football's just moved on. No, nobody in the league plays like us. Now I know you could argue, oh well, Spurs are fourth, so maybe they should start playing a bit more like Spurs. But no one wants to watch it. No one's enjoying it. And fundamentally, if you finish fourth, you haven't won anything. Like it's great to qualify, and we we probably qualify again because we have good enough players that can make any system like good enough to score you enough goals to get you in in winning positions in enough games. I just don't, I just don't see enough from him going forward that this is going to change or is going to improve and it's just a matter of time. The players just need to learn these mythical automations. I just I just think, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe he goes somewhere else and wins the lot. He, he is a one-game-a-week coach with the best team in that league and wins the league. One, I don't one, think one that's as great as if one makes out. <laughs> yeah, like if you if you basically are given the best te- the best team in a league and then don't play any European games or as soon as you're in them, get knocked out, and then you win the league. Is that really that impressive? Like, I have to be honest. I don't. I don't know that it is. And now, look, I, I'm not going to take anything away from his achievements. He has won what he's won, and it's there for everyone to see. But I'm looking at that, thinking, is that a good match for a team who isn't the best team, who can't spend the most money, and needs needs transforming, needs to create a belief, which is why Poch did so well because he built something intangible with heart and spirit and focus which is for fans when you know you don't have the money of a city etc is much easier to buy into because we're never going to spend the money but you can get on board with with a team that has passion and fight and drive but with with Conte we sort of sold the dream and it's not even his fault right we sold the dream of this guy wins everywhere he goes same with Jose they can't do it because I think football's moved on past the style that they play and we don't have the investment to give them the best players. If you gave Conte City and he went there and was able to implement style, they would win the league. But we're not that and we won't be that. So I just don't think it will ever work with him at the helm. And I think we're in a position now where we are suffering, as fans, we are suffering watching players who don't really want to play this football, trying to play it because they, they don't want to feel his wrath, but not really trying enough to make it work. And it's it's just it's horrible to watch. I'm honestly I'm this is as low as I've been in terms of enjoyment of watching Spurs for as long as I can ever remember. It it's honestly no I, oh yeah fuck it I'll say it. to me I find this worse than the Mourinho era. <laughs> I do like yeah. I find it just as toxic, and I I think it's even maybe even more toxic. You know I think I think a lot of what followed Mourinho was stuff that happened previously. I don't mm. actually objectively think Mourinho was that appalling when he was at Tottenham. He definitely wasn't Man United Mourinho. Um, and maybe we kind of stopped the rot before it got to that stage. I will concede that. But, you know, we've had Conte for two years now, openly just like, just speaking in such an, whatever you think about him, whatever you think about like Daniel Levy, whatever you think about like the club and the way we handle stuff, I just find it so hard to to see past Antonio Conte's unprofessionalism in a lot yeah, of his same. kind of conduct, uh, in his press conferences, the way he's acted, um, and you know, I, whatever. I understand at the moment he's in he's in poor health. He's had kind of off pitch issues, you know, bereavements from friends and stuff like that. That should all be considered. But let's not pretend that this stuff wasn't happening before all of that that's just been mentioned. You know, it's. It, mm. it, it, it's just, like you say, it's just not fun. I, I saw there was a really good tweet from uh, Baser, Jack, friend of the show. Um, he tweeted, if Spurs actually finish in the top four this year, the other 16 teams below them should be instantly relegated. You know, yes. and it's just like, it's so spot on, you know, because yeah. it, it feels, it feels like we're just kind of getting there by the fight. And who knows, you know, Liverpool are way on the up again now. They seem to have kind of gotten their mojo back. But they're they're an interesting case as well, mate. You know, because we have kind of been like, I feel like there's been an element of like, and it's mostly other Spurs fans doing this, to be fair. But we've kind of been gaslit into just accepting that this is the only way we can ever hope to achieve anything by having yeah. a Marino or a Conte. 
But look at Liverpool. Look at Jurgen Klopp. The kind of, you know, he really, he was kind of in that. His Dortmund era was like, his similar anyway to kind of Pochettino at Tottenham. Yeah, I know he won the German league, so it's, it's kind of different. But still, it kind of, he had that emotional, big, amazing kind of project with Dortmund. They got to a Champions League final. They didn't quite get it over the line against Bayern. And it all kind of fell to pieces after that point. You know, he he left Dortmund in the relegation places. And there was always a kind of risk factor with Jurgen Klopp. People liked him. People rated his football. That kind of like rock and roll football, whatever it was. Heavy metal. Heavy metal football, as he used to call it back then, wasn't it? And Liverpool kind of took that risk on him. And look at it. You know, they didn't completely... All right, you know, they added in Mo Salah. But Mo Salah was a smart acquisition. Mo Salah was a player that had flopped, if you want to say that, at Chelsea had kind of gone to a, a club like Roma and was doing all right in the Serie A. It was still a risk they 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 kind of took in signing a player like him. And yeah, I, I understand a lot of things went well for them. They kind of, they managed to sort of get Mane over the line because they had the, the spending power to offer him a bigger wage than Tottenham did. You know, that's a, that's a sort of interesting yeah. crossroad. But really, he also did this by incorporating into those players like Jordan Henderson, James... Jordan Henderson and James Milner were two essential parts of what it was that he was creating there that for years, years and years and years, people had said, maybe not so much about Milner, but definitely about Henderson. He was definitely in that Eric Dyer bracket of not good enough, bit of a donkey, all right on his day, but not good enough if you want to win something. He was the fucking captain that led them to a Premier League and a Champions League. You know, it's and it shows you. Like, we remember when they were at their pomp, Liverpool. It's only a couple of years ago. He could bring anyone in. They could get an injury, and you'd kind of think, "Oh, maybe the wheels are going to come off it." Oh no, that random kind of squad player or academy player still looks fucking bought into this and is giving every single thing to every single moment that they get. We just don't have that, like in this proven winner in content. We clearly have this whole kind of. I don't know, culture of fear, culture of just... It, it doesn't look happy. It doesn't look like anybody's bought into anything. And like I, like I always bang on about, what have we been sold, mate? What What is this vision? What is it that we've been told? Because all that he says is, oh, you can't expect me to compete with teams like Manchester City and that. What? Like, what, why, why is this just like, oh, he's telling it like it is. Fuck Daniel Levy. Fuck our pathetic joke. Our pathetic club. What? No, I, I don't buy this. I don't support Antonio Conte. I support Tottenham Hotspur. And I know that we're... I've seen that we're better than this. You can say all you want about Pochettino not having won something. We've got to a fucking Champions League final. We got to, we were in two title races. Don't tell me that what what we had then was not better than this with less than what Conte's been given as well. So don't tell me that this is the only way we can do anything because I, I just... I, you know, I'm not having it anymore, John. I'm not having it, mate. I'm not having it, mate. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree, mate. Liverpool's a great example because if you look at that that squad, like give or take a few players here and there, but basically like Mane from Southampton, Spurs could have signed him. Like he would have been in our bracket. Okay, maybe he chooses Liverpool over us. But broadly speaking, right, price-wise, we definitely could have afforded him at the time. We decided not to pursue that one. Firmino was a bit of a left-field punt from, I think he came from Germany in Hoffenheim or somewhere like that. But again, in price bracket was available. We could have signed him. Um, Salah, again, another one. Like They took a punt on him after, I mean, he ripped us to shreds when he was at Baal. And I remember thinking, fuck me, that lad's a real player. Then he went to Chelsea and did nothing and then obviously went back to Italy and was, was doing well over there. So, but again, not talking about like hundreds and hundreds of millions like a Real Madrid would spend on a front line, like very achievable, smart acquisitions. Players like Wijnaldum from Newcastle. We signed Sissoko from Newcastle. Who looked at that and thought, oh, they've got a couple of good midfielders. Which one should we go for? And pick Sissoko over fucking Wijnaldum. That's just incompetence. Again, not a big expense. Henderson, same thing. I know they spent a lot of money on him, and then they, but they kept him and they made him work within that midfield. Robertson from a relegated team. Like Trent Alexander-Arnold come through their academy, they just thought, "Fuck it, we'll just put him in, we'll just put him in, see how good he is." Like gave gave him more than enough time to actually play, rather than just go, "Oh no, he's not, he's not an established Premier League player. We have to find someone else." And yeah, sure. Then they had players like Lovren who weren't quite good enough to get him where they got, but they only had one area to replace in their back line, so they went, "Okay, fine, we'll get Van Dijk." And they went, "Right, well, Carius isn't good enough. Right, so we need one signing to to get us a better keeper." So essentially, out of that, the ones where they really spent big money was Allison and Van Dyke because they they did so much good work 
on what they were doing in terms of the rest of the pitch. I've got a list here of our top 10 most expensive signings, right? Oh Region, 30 million, flop. Soldado, 30 million, flop. Bergvine, 30 million, flop. Lo Celso, 32 million, flop. Musa Sissoko, 35 million pounds. <laughs> GBP. Davidson Sanchez, 42 million pounds. Romero, 46 million. That looks about right. He's fucking decent. Porro, 48 million. Don't know about him yet. Richarlison, 60 million. Likewise, don't really know where that's going to sit. And Endombele, 60 million. I mean, we have wasted so much money on shit that I don't think it's necessarily like a we don't spend money. We just spend it really badly. And we, we try to cut corners on players and go, oh, this is rather than spending 120 million, we've got this guy for 60. It's like, but you could spend 40 on someone else who's just more suited, doesn't have a name, isn't from, you know, like we, we've signed players like, like Endombele. Would Ward Prowse have done any worse in the time that Endombele's been at the club if he signed for Spurs? No. Like, he'd, he'd have just you, been all right, wouldn't he? He'd have been fine. Do you know what we are a bit, mate? You know, like, <laughs> with your parents at Christmas time, when you were a kid, and you'd ask for an action man, and you'd get a man of action for Christmas. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that your dad's managed to find on a market somewhere or something like that. Like, that is entirely what Tottenham's, like, transfer spending seems to be a lot of the time. But we're not going to fully commit to Bruno Fernandes. But we'll get you this Lo Celso lad. Okay, well, you know, guess it's all right. It's kind of a knockdown version. But... And it just, I don't know, it's that its that old saying, isn't it? Like, buy cheap, buy twice. And yep. look at our fucking right-back situation. You know, it's its just, it's, I found it so, and this is, this is kind of adds to this frustration with Antonio Conte, the way this feels at the moment, because I just can't, I can't believe that we would be in a worse position had Jed Spence just had a few more games. I <laughs> know, just play him every week and see you what know? happens. Had, had, had we seen kind of, and all right, Emerson Royale is, is looking very good now, but yeah. we've just spent, like you say, 48 million on Pedro Porro, who I, I don't want to make any rush judgments on. I need to learn from Kulisewski and everything like that, but I don't, I, so far, I don't even feel like, other than that free kick, I guess, which was pretty nice, I don't really feel like I've seen anything from him that I'm like, oh, I can cling on to that. Maybe, you know, that's that's an exciting part of it. But once he settles, I just kind of am like, oh, all right, it's just another. It could be Doherty, it could be Royal, it could be Aurea, it could be Trippier. Do you know what I mean? Just like, all right, it's just a sort of random right wing back. Um, yeah. But that's probably harsh. But, you know, it's it's more the frustration with, with I mean, he's, he's a prime example. It's one thing I've been banging on about, right, of Antonio Conte. And like you're saying, this kind of his hesitancy to, you know, we're not going to have a Trent Alexander-Arnold under him. We're not going to have probably even an Andy Robertson yeah. under him. Like, we've signed Danjuma on a, on a again, let's be honest, half-season loan. I can't see us spending 46 or whatever million it is on him in the summer. It's a half-season loan. Why, isn't he, why, why is Lucas Moura starting ahead of him? Like, we're we going to spend two months waiting for him to learn automations, but... Is he even that type of player? Like, like I say, all his YouTube compilations are this kind of chaos element player. Runs at people, takes them on, skins people, has snapshots from outside the box. Yeah, he might be hard to coach, but sometimes you need that type of player in there. He's exactly kind of what Lucas Moura is, but hopefully better. And yet we're starting Lucas Moura, who we were trying to get rid of in January, over the lad that we signed to replace Lucas. What? Just make it make sense. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
John. I, I yeah, I, I just I don't understand the logic, right? If if it takes that long to get a player up to speed, then don't bother signing them because then you're essentially just literally throwing away X amount of months worth of wages to to get a player in who then will still be a rotation option, right? At very best, he's going to be a sub, let's say, right? Or starting the odd game here and there. And if it takes X amount of months to get them up to speed to even get to that point, then why have we even bothered signing them? What is the point? Because they're just going to sit there. We're going to just pay the money. And then what happens? Their loan deal expires. We haven't seen them enough to see whether or not it was worth buying them. When they could have just been playing at their like parent club, or gone somewhere else on loan, and we could have just kept an eye on them for free and gone, yeah, they do look like a good player, let's sign them in the summer. What are we doing? We are li- we're literally like betting against ourselves by going, let's bring him here so he can't play, and then we'll, we'll have to decide, based on less information, whether or not he's worth us signing. It makes no fucking sense whatsoever. And I, I do have some sympathy with the ire that I have at Conte it's aimed at him, but there is a lot of other people responsible for other parts that contribute to him being shit. Now, I don't like the way he plays football. I don't like the way he manages the squad. I don't like a lot of things about what he's doing. But that kind of stuff, like the decision should be taken out of his hands. If he's saying, oh, I need this player, but it's going to take me X amount of months to get him up to speed, then Paratici or Levin used to go, well, no, fuck off. You're not, if you're not going to play him, I'm not going to sign him. I'm not going to waste money on players that aren't going to play. It's completely pointless. And in the same way as the squad management, like there needs to be, if, if he's given indications that, oh, I'm not sure whether I'm going to stay at the end of the year, but I really want Pedro Porro and he's going to cost you a load of money and we've got a right wing back who we're going to loan out who's known for being very fast, good at attacking but not great at defending, which is exactly the same as Porro, we're going um, to loan him out and then we're going to spend loads of money on another right wing back who basically plays the same way. So that at the end of this situation, if I then decide to leave, you're now stuck with three right wing backs again, one attacking who's really quick and can't defend very well, another one who's exactly the same, and then a really defensive one. Like, what balance is that to the squad when we haven't got good enough centre backs? Now, I get it. You might not be able to get exactly the the centre back you want in January. Don't just blow the money on a random position then. And also, we've known all season that we need, like, a James Madison has been the name, but, like, a quote-unquote creative midfielder to change the system, we must have been able to get someone for £60 million we spent on Porro, whatever we spent on him. I just honestly have no idea what we are doing. Like, I just don't get it. Like, nothing is making sense. I feel like we basically need a hard reset, clear everyone out, like all of the coaching staff, all of the um, sort of Paratici, get rid of them all and start again and basically go to Brighton and go, how much do you want for your entire scouting and coaching setup? How much? Name your price. Because if you look at the business they've done, like the players they've signed would improve our squad. And we're in a completely different stratosphere in terms of what we're trying to achieve in comparison to what they're trying to achieve. But their players would still improve us. So imagine they were able to have, you know, go up a couple of um, rings in terms of budgets, but still add those Matomas and Caicedos and these players that they're picking up out of nowhere. Like, what are we doing? And we were really good at that. If you remember, like, the kind of Yol era onwards, we were really good at picking up kind of young, talented, like, players from lower divisions. I'm thinking, like, Lennon, players like that. Even, like, Huddleston. The, the Dawson's Huddleston. Like, these sort of players, like Walker, like that came in and just, like, did well for us I mean, on Walker's a budget. Walker's probably the greatest ever Premier League right-back, right? Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> he's, he's unbelievable. Um, and now, I mean, I, I, I brought it up the other day. We're signing like players like even Perisic to, you know, we are back in Antonio Conte with players like that, who is clearly, and it's clear to everybody, not fit for purpose, right? I, I've, I've barely had any blowback from my sort of criticism of Perisic. And I look on Spurs Twitter and most people are just like, yeah, failed experiment. Like he's just, he is too old. He's not, he's not dynamic enough for this league. And he just seems to be a detriment to our team. You know, him and Son just don't work together. They just don't. I don't know if you saw yeah. um, Johnny Johnny Blaney works for Opta, Spurs fan. Um, he sh- I th- Hang on, let me see how many games it was. He shared that, I think it's, honestly, I think it's like four or five of the last games that Son and Perisic have started together, we've lost. Fuck. Yeah, Tottenham have lost the last four matches that Perisic and Son have started together. Which... 
I don't know what it says, who it says more about. I mean, I know Son hasn't had his best season, but I thought he actually looked all right against Wolves, really. Mm. Um, and it felt to me that like most of our attacks kind of stopped dead when Perisic got got on on on, on the end of them. But look, I mean, for some for some balance here, for because I'm sure there are some people listening to this who are like screaming the point I'm about to make at their whatever device that lads whatever you're saying about this we are in the top four we're in the knockout stages of the Champions League we're, comp- we're saying like most of Brighton's team Brighton scouting team whatever let's get them let's sign most of their players Brighton are like wallowing in mid-table we're fourth and I do think Harry. I still think Harry Kane is a big part of that I'm just mm. I do need to caveat this I can only caveat this so much, but I, I really do feel that. Still, we're in the top four. We're in the knockout stage of the Champions League. Objectively, we're doing well. I, I told John Bassett 15 years ago, Tottenham would be in the top four and in the knockouts of the Champions League coming up against AC Milan. You'd be like, quality, happy. You know, maybe True. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I think we were still playing in it in with Redknapp and everything, but still... Yeah, is is because this is the question, mate. Like, I'm, I I don't want to make the whole podcast about them and whatever. Do we feel worse because Arsenal are on the verge of winning the league? Well, the obvious answer and true answer and only answer is yes. However, and I'll come back. I'll come back to them like in a minute. Let's take let's take that away for a minute because I I don't often focus on them. It's like obviously a secondary thing, right? I look at us and then you can't help but go, oh, what what have they? How did they get on? But if we had been playing exciting football but were flaky, like I'm thinking like Redknapp, right? Where it was so fun, but when we'd lose a random game to like West Brom or Portsmouth away or something, and it would just be infuriating because you'd be like, we're so good, but we're also so shit still. How annoying is that? But my overall feeling was excited. Every time we play, I was like, we can beat anyone. Like, in Europe, in the Premier League, we can beat anyone. And we're exciting. And we're going to go into games. We're going to score loads of goals. Yeah, we might concede, but we're going to score loads of goals. Now, I don't look forward to games. I dread them. I, I find it fucking boring. I'm on my phone for half the game, mm. tweeting about how boring it is and how I wish I wasn't on my phone for half the game. And I don't know from one week to the next what kind of Spurs is going to turn up. I don't know how we're going to score goals. The players just all annoy me. I've just got like real fatigue with the, the the team and the characters in the team. They all just annoy me. They wind me up. And then every so often we'll pull out a, a good performance. And I'm like, oh, okay, like maybe there's something here. And I do still think like looking at the young players we've got, I, I can see a future. But right now, I look at it and I'm, I, I don't enjoy it. So I'd say to those people who are, who are saying, well, we're in the knockouts in the top four. Are you enjoying it? Because if you are, fair fucking play. Like, great. I'm actually really happy if people are enjoying this season, this has been, I've enjoyed seasons where we've finished in much worse positions, way more than I'm enjoying this. Now, maybe that says more about me than it does about Spurs, but I just, I'm finding it really hard. Like I'm just not enjoying that. And maybe it's just because it is like Conte's football. And, you know, maybe I just want, maybe I'm just a baby and I I want nice football. Um, and maybe it is a combination of what those lot are doing down the road. It certainly doesn't help. It definitely is compounding the issue because we were so much better than them for such a long time and ultimately have nothing to show for that. And they're going to go be the best team in the country to being shitter than us for nearly a decade, still winning somehow two FA Cups in that time, and now winning the fucking league again. Are you, are you having a laugh? That is mental. And so, yeah, of course it's going to impact people. So... Yeah, again, if you somehow are at peace with that and go, okay, that's fine because we're going to finish top four, fucking good on you because you are a much better person than I am. I honestly, mate, I cannot believe that they're doing what they're doing. I, like, <laughs> it's so I, know, I know personally that, like, it really is. It's honestly, and I wish it wasn't this way. I wish football didn't affect me in this way. It's a black cloud over me every single day, and everything that I do, <laughs> I just remember that they are probably going to win the league and that little fucking toad Mikel Arteta is going to be immortalised oh god he's going to be the man that stood up to Man City and won the league nobody believed in him everyone made fun of his light bulb and all that shit 
maybe they'll maybe they'll lose to Norwich. We all had a good laugh then, didn't we? But we're not fucking laughing now. And it's I cannot believe. It. I mean, people say, "Well, you got to say fair play to him." No, I fucking don't. I don't no. want to. Like, you know, I just. Ugh. Yeah, it's grim, and and the thing is, like, there's no escape from it, right? No, there is no escape from it. And the media, the media are absolutely lapping it up, and I know that on this pod you've you've spoken about it many times. How our treatment in the media is just so different to those those legacy success teams, and Arsenal are definitely one of those. Right? They mm. haven't been good for fucking ages, and now you know I'm, I'm even seeing like articles where people are like, oh, so and so. Like Liverpool are going to sign this player to compete with the likes of Man City and Arsenal. Like Arsenal, suddenly some fucking powerhouse. Like they haven't even won the league yet, and now they're they're like in the same breath as Man City is being talked about as the two best teams. I'm like, this is just really one is very premature, and two is just it's just sickening because if it was Spurs in that position, that would not be what was being said. It would be an anomaly, a freak. How are they doing this? Unbelievable. Uh, anytime soon they're going to bottle it. But with with Arsenal, their treatment in the media is completely completely different and. Again, this idea of like, oh, we're, they're a big club with history. Yeah, history is exactly what it is. They haven't won the league for a long, long time. So what those players haven't experienced that. So it's not like they have some you know, inherent need to win the league. It's not like if Man City now went like five years without winning the league and the same group of players were there, you'd be like, well, they've been there and they've done it. The, the club is is different to the, the playing squad and playing team, but they get treated like... You know, it's the whole the Arsenal bullshit, and we just don't we just don't get that. So, yeah, it's it's certainly not helping because you know it's never nice when your rivals are, are doing well and also getting the love and adoration that we we should have been getting under Poch. And you can't help but see the similarities here. And the the main difference, aside from all the media bias and the sort of football hubris that goes around, is they backed Arteta when things got tough, and we sacked the man who. Do, did more than any other manager in the Premier League era to take us forward. Uh, at the time, so I know it's easy to say, but at the time, we did a fighting cock episode where I, w- I wasn't on it. I think I was away, but we had like basically everyone give their view as to like potch in or potch out, right? Right towards the end. I think this was after that Brighton game. There was another game. I think we, I can't remember what happened, but we, we didn't do very well. And it was, it was after that. And then the pod went out and he was sacked the next day. I think. At that point, I was still the only person basically saying, I can't believe we're even debating sacking him. I don't understand why we would do that. Like This is the first time in his entire time at Spurs where things have got tough, and now we're going to pie him off. When we know we we have had no investment for two transfer windows, fair enough, Like that, the window before he got canned was Endombele and the Celso and all that, and it didn't go to plan. But really, this is the first time it's got tough. He, by its own admission, said this is a painful rebuild, and we just we fired him, <laughs> we sacked him. It was absolutely unforgivable. And again, look at look at Liverpool. Now we don't know what's going to happen with Klopp going forward, but they've had an awful season. I I haven't really heard anyone, certainly not from Liverpool the fandom, talking about we need to get rid of Klopp. Like they're talking about the ownership. A few and, football Twitter virgins, but other than that, no one's serious. Exactly. No, no real Liverpool fans are talking about Klopp getting rid of it because they understand football is cyclical and this is this is going to be his second generation of that team. We didn't give Poch that opportunity. We just fired him, and I've I've never really like understood why no one was making a big deal out of that. Like, oh well, we were terrible towards the end. Well, yeah, of course we were. Like, yes, obviously. In the same way, we're fucking terrible now because we've still got a load of shit players who aren't going to take us forward that need to be turned over. And that's that does go back to Daniel Levy. So it's the same cycle, mate. It doesn't matter what happens with Conte, right? Like if we do, if the club from top to bottom, like I said, need, needs either a rethink or an overhaul um, for us to move forward. And that has happened down the road. Like th- those scumbags have done very well in terms of changing their way of thinking. They've gone, right, we do need to like clear the decks here, give give a um, sporting director a chance to make signings and fail, give a manager a chance to make signings and fail, but we, we, we pick them based on their philosophy and we give them a proper amount of time, like multiple seasons, to implement what they're trying to do. And until we do that, I don't think we'll ever compete because we're never going to be in a position where we're going to have the big bucks to just blow like 400 million in a transfer window and completely overhaul the squad. We have to do it 
in a more organic way. And that's what really goes, I think, deep down, that's what really goes everyone is they've kind of done it, quote unquote, the right way. And they've done it with, um, all right, they've spent a lot of money, but they, they've spent within what they're allowed to spend. So they're going to be capped, I think, for the next couple of seasons. But they won't give a shit about that when they win the league, will they? Mm. And that's what hurts is it's held a mirror up to all of us. And unfortunately, we we don't control the spending and decision-making at Tottenham. So we as the fans just have to eat the shit and we have no control over it. So it, it's, it's, not, it's not fun, mate. It's not but it's fun. just, it, it is how it feels because, you know, I think in the wake of Sheffield United, you can't put this on, you know, some people are saying like, you can't put this on. And I get it. I, I think that there's a, I do think like there's an overcompensation in defending Daniel Levy because there is such a kind of wobble-headed Levy out. Like people talk about him like he actively actually doesn't want us to win stuff. Do you know what I mean? They come out with these kind of weird conspiracy theories about him, the kind of, yeah, let's be honest, the sort of borderline or just pretty much out and out anti-Semitic stuff you see about him and, you know, I think, the, and I do get why there's a there's a reaction to kind of like close ranks around him and be like, well, he's actually done a lot for the club, which I I do believe. I do believe he has. I believe he has turned Tottenham into a super club. I believe that he has put us in a fantastic position now to be able to compete at the very top. Just in my opinion, he's showing now his you know his lack of experience. Of being a chairman at this level, great. He's built the team, but now that we're here, I, d- I just I don't think he can go like head to head with some of these like big old giants and stuff like he thinks he can. I think he is still seen as like an upstart. I think he winds people up, obviously from how he's been in the past when they've all wanted to buy your Berbatovs or your Modriches and stuff like that, and he's kind of and that's but that stubbornness in him and that kind of aspiration that we can be more that we don't just need to be feeder clubs to these teams is what's projected Tottenham propelled us to 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 where we are now but I do feel that like the the you 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 don't get to you don't get to build this spaceship massive stadium that we have have all these franchises charge the fans the sort of ticket prices that we do the events and stuff by that I mean like the NFL the events and things what I mean by this is that we're we're a global club we're on the we're on the world stage now we are the name Tottenham Hotspur is Whatever it can be derided, but you know what is it? Love the door, never ignored, kind of thing. Hated the door, never ignored. But we're up there. But then, when it comes to the actual act of football, when it comes to playing football games, the messaging throughout the club is always consistent. Ah, oh, we can't expect too much. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 yeah. always that, and that that is the part that, in my opinion. As the bloke bloke down the street, the barstool preacher, like that is the part that is that he is culpable for. That bleeds down. That bleeds down to the frustration that you see from Antonio Conte when he just openly says that. Pochettino said it as well. To be fair, you know, Pochettino t- spoke about yeah. furniture and all that type of shit. You know, his weird metaphors that he always liked to use. So we do have that, but that 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 clearly comes down from Levy. It clearly comes down from him that finishing in the top four is more important to the club than winning a winning an FA Cup. And in an objective, cold business sense, yep, you can understand that. But I do think that they misjudge, they misjudge this shit too much now, and it's 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 for too long. When we're building the stadium, I think we can understand the business pragmatism over winning an FA Cup or a League Cup. I think we were all on board with that, loath as we were to admit it. I think the majority of Spurs fans I spoke to were like, I get it. We need as much money as we can because we're building this stadium. It's a period of transition for the club. Champions League football is important. I get it. Now we're here. There's no excuse for Tottenham to not be competing for an FA Cup and competing for a Champions League. There There just isn't. We we cannot we, we cannot continue to placate this idea that we should just sit and be patient and be thankful for what we get because we pay them we pay the the most expensive ticket prices in the country. I I barely go to Tottenham anymore because I can't really afford it. And I used to go like pretty much every week to every home game anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's and it, circumstances change. It's not all just about that, but it's a it's a major factor in it. 
And so I know so many other fans. I know so many other people that are just pretty much priced out of going to it. But yet we still have to sit here and be like, well, you know, we can't expect to be the best team in the country, though. But yeah. why not? And if you can't deliver that anymore, like if you, if you, if the ownership, if Levy, if Enoch feel that it is literally beyond them to make Tottenham the best team in the country, then now it's time to step aside and let us enjoy it. You know, like let us enjoy, let us dream about maybe winning the best stuff, maybe being the best team in the country. Because that's not what you... You don't follow football for for pragmatism, for cold, hard reality. That's what life is about, right? Yeah. Life is about, I'm never going to have a six-pack, you know? I'm never going to be a millionaire. And I, you reconcile this and you make your best of like your lot in life. And we all do that. And that's 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 fine. Football's supposed to be the fucking escape from that. Football's supposed to be like the the, the, the pasture for us to like dream and for us to like act out. Seeing these fucking like modern day titans, do, you know, go out and play football in a way. You know, we sit and shout at them and say, you should have done this, you should have done that. Like, we'd be able, ever be able to do any fucking better than them. Do you know what I mean? But it's still, it's there. They like live out the dreams of like, Anybody that played football and stuff when you're a kid, they can make all that happen. And yet we consistently just sold this vision of, oh, well, we can just make do with our lot. Oh, fuck off, man. Like, you, you, you plaster to dare is to do on every single bit of merchandise yeah. and everything like that. And yet the message from you is always, well, we can't compete. It's bollocks, man. And I just, I feel that, I just feel that like, ever, and I have been so on the fence with like, Levy and Enoch and all of it but I really am just at a point now where I'm like like I say I appreciate all the good stuff but now where we are now look we gave you White Hart Lane you took it you took it from us you knocked it down you knocked down the place that yeah I know we kind of we eulogise about the place like it was you know the best place ever but it's you know it's the first place I ever went to a football match with my old man do you know what I mean like there's so many like memories we've had in that place but we gave it we entrusted it to, to the stewardship of the club knock it down and make make everything better for us. And we're still getting the same shit that we were getting told before they knocked it down. Oh, well, you know, there's something else that now that we can't, you know. I don't know. I feel like I've been waffling for, for a while here, mate. Like, But it's, it, it, you know. No, I'm with you, mate. I'm with you. And, and I, think, um, I think this is the thing, isn't it? I think that like a lot of things in the modern world, you have to be on one side or the other. There's no space for nuance. And the nuance here is you can be grateful for what Levy's done on the business side and, and putting us in a position and also be frustrated at him not being able to or willing to push us on to the next level, which would be to start winning things and really like, you know, be one of the major forces on, on the field. I think that's completely acceptable. That's where, that's where I am. I'm, I'm like, look, I'm not going to hate the guy for getting us consistently into the top four and dreaming of winning the Champions League and having a brand new stadium. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know why I would. Like, I'd be grateful for that. In the same way as I'm grateful for Steve Malbronk being a bit decent midfielder for like nine games a season. I don't hate him because he was crap in the other ones and he wasn't as good as Moussa Dembele. It's just, that's part of the process to get you where you need to get to. And so I think it's the same with, with a chairman. He's just taken us as far as he can, essentially. And the difference is it's a lot, it's a harder process and takes more time and there's more intricacies to untangle his ownership of the club and direction of the club in the way we go forward. So I'm just trying to be realistic and thinking to myself, as long as he's in charge, what do I want to see things change? And then that's things in his control. If tomorrow there's a new owner that comes in that wants to spend money and takes us to the next level, great. Like I'm all for that as well. I don't think by, you know, talking about Levy being in charge and making decisions it means that I want that to be the case I'm just trying to you know state the fact that he is in charge for the meantime so I can only focus on what you know what we can see in front of us right now I don't really try to live in well if this person comes in then we could sign this player and then we could do this it's like there's a lot of ifs right now we have him so what what have we seen from him that will suggest what's going to happen next and if I'm like try to look at the positives one of the things I do think that's positive going going forward is in in amongst all of the shit that we signed and all of the issues we've got, there are some like really interesting signings and like young, talented players in and around our squad and joining our squad that I think, given the right coach and we're, you know whether that's Poch or not, but someone who wants to play front foot attacking positive football, there's a lot there, right? Like let's say if you just run through very quickly, right, what we have and what we're missing, we need to upgrade on Larice. Fine, so we're gonna have to spend money on a on a on a decent keeper. Well, just from an exciting point of view, it's like, 
we've had Larice for basically a decade. Like it would be quite exciting to have a new keeper and spend a bit of money on a keeper. We've got Destiny Adoji, who's been, by all accounts, doing really well in Italy, coming in as like a left wing back type player. We've got Jed Spence and Porro, two really offensive like wing backs on the right hand side, and Royale, who is more defensive, so it just gives you a nice option, right? We're going to need a couple of centre-backs to go alongside Romero, but Romero is a real talent, and I think like everyone's excited by his ceiling. He's still relatively young as a centre-back. So again, we're going to have to make some big money signings on a couple of new centre-backs. But then we've got like Skip, Basuma, Saar, Bentoncourt. Like, they're really exciting players, and there's, again, more, more to come from those players, and we've seen the likes of Skip and Saar hold their own in the Champions League. But not a lot of players at that age playing together as well, not even with someone more experienced alongside, would have held their own in the way that they did. That was, for me, was a big tick in the box of how how good their potential is. Kulisevsky's not old. He's still a really like promising, young, up-and-coming talent. He's basically the same age as Phil Foden. The way people talk about him is like, oh, all the, the best years are yet to come. Well, that's the same as, as Kulisevsky. Um, and then, you know, you sprinkle in the mix of that, like someone like Kane next season who is probably going to be that's going to be his last if we don't you know renew him or sell him that will be his last season for us right going to be properly motivated by that you've got young players like divine in and around the squad and then you sprinkle some like young attacking um players into that squad and some creative players into that squad and you get rid of the fucking like cloggers who we've had there for a million years and you go front foot attacking football that to me is really exciting like, really, really exciting. I'm looking at that just going, oh, my God, Like this is like playing FIFA. Just get rid of all the old players, bring in a load of youth players to sit alongside your promising youngsters and just go all out attack and just see what happens. I That, to me, excites me. And I feel like that is within in terms of the money we'll spend and what is like potentially possible for us to do. That's not unrealistic. Whereas saying, no, no, what we'll do is we'll sign Tuchel and spend 400 million on all the best players. We'll sign Mbappe. It's not never going. That is never going to happen as long as Daniel Levy's in charge. So, what is possible is what I've suggested, and that to me might end up in fucking disaster. Right? We might lose every game five four, and be mid table, and I'll be going, oh, just just get Conte back. We need we need pragmatic football, but it would be fucking exciting. It'd be fun, and it would be something that we could potentially do. So, whilst there's loads of doom and gloom, I'm a firm believer in like there's always you know, a real dip before something fun happens. And when things are going great, like round the corner is potentially a bit of a dip. So just enjoy it while it's there. We are now in the shittest of the shit. And I'm now looking at the future and thinking like, actually, do you know what? It's going to get better. Like it will get better. It's it's just, it's just the nature of time and existence that things will get better. And there's enough, there's enough uh, seeds there for us to look forward and think, right, if we can just get the right person in to oversee that, and sprinkle a bit of magic. There's nothing to stop us doing something really exciting in the next couple of years going forward. Wednesday, big game, mate. Yeah. If we go out to that, things are going to get <laughs> things are going to get pretty tasty. You would say. Yeah. Um, I guess it, it, a lot of it is dependent on the manner of the defeat. If it if we do get defeated. Um, but is there a part of you that feels that that should be, you know, good night, Antonio? You know, if we if we go out to the Champions League, would you like to see the, the season end with a next gaffer in charge or at least kind of, you know, the moves in place to bring in the next person who can start to assess a squad? Yeah, I mean, I would have sat Conte in January. <laughs> I actually didn't think he would make it out the month because I just thought, well... He's not extending. He's at the time he was being like very pigheaded and all the rest of it. And I thought that we, we had a bad result as well. I can't remember what it was. And I thought he's not he's not going to make this because he's just going to lose a couple more games. But then you know people pointed out to me, look where we are in the league. And then it was like, well, we're still in the FA Cup. And we're still in the Champions League. Now it's like, well, we're out of the FA Cup, but we're still in the Champions League. If this goes, then he has to go, doesn't he? Like it, it gets to a point where it's like, what are, what are we doing? Because essentially we are wasting time for our next manager to you know get through the sort of assess figure things out stage that will will ultimately be the start of next season why why not just accelerate that let them do it at the end of this season like blow blow it up find out a few things about a few players 
Then you've got a whole summer to really work out your transfers and work on your ideas. And then you can come into a season actually like ready to go. So, yeah, if we go out, I, I would definitely fire him. And, you know, in my dream scenario, Poch is available right now. You go back to him and say, OK, like, let's let's finish the business that you started like let's get this moving you know you know you know that he would be able to assimilate into the club really well because he's been there before and he knows all of that stuff so it would just come down to right let's just concentrate on the football and let's figure out how we're going to make this you know who you want to keep who we're going to get rid of and really start planning properly about right let's really turn this squad over like let's get rid of the players who are not going to be here let's start getting deals in place for them now let's let's start identifying targets now so we can get them in early in the summer and get the business done but I just don't we won't do that we we literally will not do that we will just drag our heels until the summer then it will be a back and forth about Conte staying then he won't stay then we'll try and get someone in Poch will have gone somewhere else and it'll be a shit show but you know we can but hope because that was going to be my next question that's it right it's Pochettino because I don't even I don't even buy that it's yeah people say oh you're just speaking with your heart not your head I think heart and head on this one now I think he's really I've, I'm kind of starting to reconcile the fact that Harry Kane's probably going this summer. Like whether Conte, I think even with Conte stays or not, I think Kane is just done at Tottenham now. And the only real person I can see that can give us a guaranteed lift if we go through that, go through the loss of Harry Kane. I mean, he's not going to die. Hope. Well, I mean, touch wood. You know. But you know what I mean. Like losing him in a playing capacity. Yeah. Is Mauricio Pochettino, and for all the reasons you stated there, he knows the club. He knows how it works. He works with Daniel Levy. He 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 part built this stadium, you know? Like yeah. he, he it feels like there is unfinished business there. And to me though, it feels like this is now this is the now or never moment. Because I think three, four, five years down the line, he will be too old and too much time will have passed. Um but now I feel that there's still that opportunity there where he can come in and just kind of raise something in, in in this team. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think as well. Just like um, out, outside of because I'm the same. I'm like, is is it heart overhead? And also, just think I don't care. Like I've tried. Like I wanted Conte because in my head I was like, well, that makes sense. He's the best manager available in the world right now. And if we want to try and win things, we should we should get him. Right. That was my head, and that was completely fucking wrong. It doesn't work like that always. So I don't care if it is just a hundred percent heart I want Poch back because you know he gave us the best moments in my sort of Spurs watching life that that I've had and I love the feeling around the club the intangibles of what you know we were so united as a fan base and there was so much enjoyment about the football we've seen on the pitch and what people forget people will always focus on the end right oh it all went to shit we were playing bad football blah 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 fine but these are different circumstances coming back into this is a you, you finally get to do that rebuild you always wanted to do. And when the team he inherited was was a bag of shit. And he had to rip that up and start again. And at the beginning, he struggled a little bit, right? It was a bit awkward and a bit messy. But you could see what he was trying to do by you know implementing his style. And because it was front foot and enjoyable in that sense, you could kind of get behind it. And he's going to have to do the same thing again. And, and to be honest, if Kane leaves, there isn't really anyone else that I would rather come into the club. Because he will understand what it's like to basically have to rebuild a team and and make that work in the confines of a team and a club that he loves and cares about. And so I think he would handle that situation better than most because he understands, you know, how that would make us as a fan base feel. And, you know, also I just I just look at it and I think his his sort of best skill set is is galvanizing a squad of of sort of young, hungry players. He did that at Espanol, he did that at Southampton, he did it with us. When he went to PSG and it was a win-now team full of egos, it didn't quite work because they don't have the same level of hunger. And, and many a manager has blown up at PSG that people somehow seem to think that that means that Poch is the only one who did badly there, even though he had the same outcome, which is win the league and not win anything else. So I, I just think it's it makes a ton of sense for a load of footballing reasons. And I think it makes a ton of sense just from uh, like emotional, intangible fan love reasons and I just want someone who gives a shit about the club who treats the club with respect and love to come in and be the figurehead of the club again that's what I desperately want and that's what he represents it'd also be quite nice wouldn't it John that first match back just hearing his magic you know ringing around the stadium his face he'd have tears in his eyes already do you know what I mean he'd be looking up clapping everyone 
I just want it. I want that fan fiction, you know? Same. And just imagine just comes back and then we we do win something. Like how how actually amazing that would be. Like he goes through all that shit. Goes if it, like goes to the shiny PSG and it wasn't all roses. We we bring in Jose and Conte and it wasn't all roses. And we get back together and we think, actually, this was always meant to be. This was destiny. And then we, we fucking go and win like one of the big pots. We win the Champions League. Like if if that's it, if Poch comes back and then in a couple of years we win the Champions League and nothing else ever again, it was worth it. I, I honestly I might consider just going, yeah, that's enough for me. I've, that's been great. I'm going to take up fucking golf or fishing or something, because that will be the pinnacle. I give much more of a shit about like the emotional storylines of football than anything else. Right, all the technical intricacies, the stats, and all all of that stuff that people love is is great and good for them if that's what you enjoy. I love the idea of a player like Harry Kane staying loyal at Spurs his whole career and at the, his last season Poch comes back and they win the Champions League together right and delivering something magical in one one moment that to me is what makes football poetic and beautiful and, and an exciting thing to be passionate about not people going what's he won what's he won what's he won what you ever won like there are plenty of players who've been at a million clubs and won loads of stuff that no one gives a shit about or will ever remember because they, they contributed next to nothing to that and then players like Totti, who we all remember, Batistuta, who we all remember, who were individually brilliant for their clubs and did stuff that was amazing for their clubs. That's the sort of myths and legends you hear about. You don't hear about Jimmy Traore winning the Champions League for Liverpool. Like, no, no one cares. So I just want, I just want that. I want a fairy tale ending for us as a fan base. And if that's with Harry Kane as well, that would be that would be beautiful. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 